Well, good morning, young disciples. It's great to see you all here. What do you think about this uh, sandbox that I asked they put here? Is it fun? I think it's fun. It's, do you know, want to know why we are having a sandbox in church? Why do you think we're having a sandbox in church? Anybody? It's a mystery, isn't it? Yeah. Well, did you hear the, the, the band playing that music today? I call that Joe's Band Unleashed. Okay? So, <laughs> yes, that's right. So, we're have, this is the first Sunday in a very long time that we're having two worship services. The first one was at 9 a.m. Were some of you asleep at 9 a.m.? I, I wish I was asleep at 9 a.m., but I wasn't. Okay, good for you. And this service is at 10.30, and this service has got a big band. The first service has a choir, and they play the organ, so they're very different. And we're going to be experimenting this fall and building a sandcastle of worship. That's the mystery part. It's not a real sandcastle. This is just for demonstration purposes. All right, did you hear Kelsey read the scriptures this morning? She went over, there were a lot of them. Did your ears perk up when she said these words? These are, these are very interesting words, and they affect you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I like that because it tells you your job, which is to obey your parents. But you know, you don't have to obey if your father exasperates you too much. Did you see that? It says something to parents as well. Parents are subject to Jesus Christ, and they need to do the right thing and follow the Spirit of God's leadership, and that's what I'm going to be talking to them about. But for us, when it's hard to obey your parents, you can pray, Lord, help me, fill me with your Spirit, and ask Jesus to help you with his Spirit living inside you so that you can do what is right. And it comes with a promise that your days may be long on the earth. So remember that, a commandment with a promise. And now you're going to go learn some very much more helpful stuff from the Sunday school teachers so you can go right on out after I pray for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for each one of these young disciples. Thank you that you created them each uniquely in your image. And thanks, Lord, for this time together and this time in Sunday school. Help them to know more and more what it means to be your disciple. We thank you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed. Okay.
Well, good morning, older disciples. Good to see you all. Well, I have to say, if, if you came here expecting a sermon about, uh, similar to what I gave the children, about husbands and wives, then you're going to be partially disappointed because that's just one of the things that Paul addressed. But if you're interested, you can come to a wedding that I officiate at in the next year or two, and you can hear what I would say to husbands and wives. But today, the Apostle Paul is addressing one central thing, which is how being filled with the Holy Spirit changes everything. You notice that this is the part just before what Kelsey read. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then all these other things flow out of being filled with the Spirit. Paul is going to move into not just theoretical, but very practical. He's going to move into our homes and our workplaces. You might even say Paul is meddling with our lives. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in his commentary on Ephesians. Now, Paul moves us onto home ground, the most immediate places where we practice resurrection. First, the place where we live together intimately in our homes, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, our kitchens where we cook food and eat our meals, our bedrooms where we sleep and make love, our living quarters where we receive guests and enjoy one another's company. He then moves on to the places where we rub shoulders day after day, working together as masters and servants, employers and employed, owners and workers, our farms and markets, schools and quarries, building roads and laying bricks. You see what's happening here is that Paul is saying that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to live a transformed life isn't something that we do just here in the sanctuary. Paul has said, be filled with the Spirit, and then there are five verbal participles that flow out of that main verb, be filled. And those first four we talked about last week are all in the context of worship, speaking, making music, singing psalms, being thankful. Now, if Paul had stopped there, we might think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is just something we do when we gather in this building for worship. But Paul doesn't stop there. The final participle of the five is be subject to one another. And then Paul adds a qualifying phrase out of reverence for Christ. So if you remember nothing else today, remember this. To be a follower of Jesus, to live with the power of his resurrection, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we actually depend on the power of the Spirit in our day-to-day lives, it transforms how we treat one another. It transforms every human relationship. The Spirit of God is in the transformation business. Paul uses four examples to show how this works out. The first is marriage, then the church, then the parent-child relationship, and then the employer-employee relationship. 
but the principle applies to every relationship. So whether you're married or single, employed or retired, whether you're an employee or an employer, the succinct and powerful message is the same. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's he, what he's saying here is that Christ is the measure of submission and obedience and love in all of our relationships. And it's our reverence for him, our holy fear is another way to translate that, for Christ that motivates and empowers us to imitate his servant character. Back in chapter 4, Paul said something similar when he urged the followers of Christ to be humble, gentle, patient, and supportive of one another in love. That's just another way of saying submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Later, he commanded believers to build each other up to avoid anger and bitterness. And all of those things are just examples of submitting to one another. What could be more practical and life-giving than this? Paul says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit 24-7 in every relationship, even the most intimate in our lives, we are to, to, to depend on the Holy Spirit of God. So prayer becomes vital to live this kind of life. Prayer isn't just something we do in the morning when we wake up or before a meal or at night when we go to bed. Prayer, think of prayer like breathing. We breathe in the Holy Spirit when we're in the midst of a conflict at work or in the home. Lord Jesus, fill me with peace. Remind me, empower me to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Daily, even hourly dependence on the Holy Spirit makes it all happen. So each week we gather here or online to be reminded that every day in our ordinary, mundane, and sometimes boring lives, we are invited to pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Spirit, guide me, show me, fill me with love and patience and forbearance. Now let's go to that marriage slide. I'm ready for that now. This is how it works out in marriage. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. These have been two very misunderstood verses in the history of the church. But they're really not all that hard to understand. The verb submit yourselves that is given to wives is not an imperative verb. It's an indicative. It just, it's a less strong word. What Paul is saying to wives is be filled with the Spirit and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's what he's saying to all believers, to all of us, to all workers, to everyone in every relationship. It's the husbands that have an even harder task. They're to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me tell you, that's really hard <laughs> because that led to his death. Husbands are called 
to love their wives in a self-sacrificial way. And you can ask Carrie this. When I do that, it's a lot easier for her to do what she is called to do. Carrie and I have been married for 41 years, and it's actually a really wonderful time in our marriage. But it hasn't been all roses and sunshine, not by a long shot. You'll have to get the details from her, but we could both tell you stories of epic marriage failures, and every single one of them was not doing what I'm talking about today. Our anger would flare up. Two sinners, used to doing things our own way, would clash. Marriage is where this happens all the time. And so learning mutual submission, learning this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ has been a lot of prayer, a lot of hard work, a lot of tears, a lot of forgiveness. One of my favorite marriage verses is these words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I pray this prayer a lot in the midst of challenging seasons and days and even moments in our marriage. Lord, teach me to be gentle and humble in heart. Teach me to love Carrie the way you love the church. What about parenting? And now we're also grandparents. This is where you really need the fruit of the Spirit, especially with adolescent children. They drive you crazy, okay? They're designed to do that. So let's switch on to that, parents and children. Now, wouldn't it be great if all children would just obey their parents and the Lord because it's right? Wouldn't it be great if they would honor their father and mother and understand that their lives will be long and they will have long life on the earth? But for some reason, these young children, and even more when they hit adolescence, just are challenged to live out the fruits of the Spirit. Remember what those are, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. But the next verse, Paul specifically addressing fathers in the first century Imagine these macho, macho men with all the power in Roman society to do everything. And he's saying to them, do not exasperate your children. I, ta I have taken that verse that I, if my children are going to live the way I want them to, they're going to have to watch how I live and not just listen to my words, because children see through hypocrisy. So their lack of love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or gentleness and self-control directly reflects on my lack of those things. When they see me exhibiting those fruits of the Spirit, they're motivated to live that way in the power of the Spirit as well. Okay, next. 
Paul moves on after addressing children to addressing work. In the first century, what that meant was a lot of master-slave relationships. That was the culture. It wasn't chattel slavery. Slaves had certain rights in the Roman Empire, but they were slaves. They were owned by another human being. And so when Paul addresses slaves and turns that relationship into a relationship that they have first and foremost with their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, it's transformative for how they show up to work each day. But even more revolutionary is the next verse and the next one, <laughs> which is addressed for masters. Verse 9. We, there, there we go. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Employers and employees in our context today just imagine how the workplace would be transformed if people actually lived this way. It's not easy. I worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for many years, and I had several bosses, several supervisors along the way. I remember one that was probably my favorite. He was an Enneagram 6, so supportive and encouraging of all my crazy ideas. He was wonderful to work for. He got the best out of me. He lived this so beautifully. He understood that he reported first and foremost to Jesus. He was a wonderful, supportive guy. And then I got a promotion and I got a new boss who was an Enneagram One. And Enneagram Ones, if you know anything about the Enneagram, is basically there's one way to do things, it's my way, do it that way. That was really hard for me. It, I was not a good worker for quite a while. I was so unmotivated. I was even thinking about getting a new job. But what I learned from a much more challenging supervisor is that I could, needed to rely even more on the Holy Spirit to fill me with that servanthood, that subjection to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, when I moved on, I got another great number six supervisor, and now I have all of you. And I report to Jesus Christ, the, the chief shepherd of the sheep. When I look at Jesus and I think about being a pastor, think about being a worker in this particular vineyard, it fills me with a great sense of hope because I know that each one of you, each one of us is accountable to our Lord and our Savior. So that our behavior with each other, our behavior in the workplace and in our homes, we're all accountable to the same wonderful Savior who gave his life, who emptied himself, even to the point of death on the cross. Well, Paul has given us clear teaching on what it means to be followers of the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Every relationship that we have in life can be made new as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The thing that I didn't understand before I began reading this very familiar passage again this week 
was how often Paul talks in the marriage section about the church. He uses marriage between a man and a woman as the analogy for the marriage between Christ and the church. What he's doing there is he's saying, we are married to one another. We are to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how a healthy and getting healthier congregation grows under Christ together by being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Each of us praying each day, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help me to submit to my brothers and sisters even when I don't agree with some of their crazy ideas. This is Paul's word to husbands and wives, to workers and employers, to fellow members of the body of Christ, and to parents and children. Let's go to the last slide and again hear from Eugene Peterson. The church is Christ's body and experiences the fullness of Christ. Each believer is a member of Christ's body, and together the church is Christ's body. Christ cares for his church because the church is his body. The same creative power that brings husband and wife together to make one new flesh from two is able to bring all believers together as his body. In this short verse, Paul brings together two key images of the church in, his, in this passage, his bride and his body. We are the bride of Christ. Christ is serving us. He's living out what he calls husbands to do for wives every day. And we are the body of Christ, expressing our Savior's love to a dying world. This is what we are called here at, in, as part of being members of this body at Grace Commons. The expectation of Jesus is that as you follow him, you will become more and more like him through depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And the, that is the means for our transformation. Lord, fill us with your Spirit, we pray. We thank you for these words, challenging words, from the Apostle Paul today. But Lord, we see in them this wonderful, powerful image of you giving your life for us, of, of you emptying yourself from a place of power and becoming a servant king. Lord, may that image be so impressed in our minds and hearts that we want to be like Jesus. And Lord, help us to rely on your Holy Spirit to make it happen in all of the relationships we're called to each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.